So as we've been uh, studying last week, we were talking about how the Holy Spirit was the one actively working in, in Antioch Church and raising up two key leaders that God was going to use to carry out this gospel mission to all nations. And so uh, we're, we're reminded that the vision that God had given the Antioch Church was bigger than they could ever imagine. And so praise God for that, right? And so uh, we are uh, a result of that work right there, you know, how the gospel continued to spread uh, throughout the ages. And so let's go to Acts chapter 13, and I will be reading out of verse 13. So this is what the word of the Lord says. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Persia in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But when they went on from Persia and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the seventh day they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hands, he said, Men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made, them, made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arms, he led them out of it. Verse 18. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after they gave, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed them, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified. Oh, we keep going. Of whom he testified and said, I found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets who are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up 
with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken this way. I will give you the holy, the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Verse 36, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Verse 40. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astonished and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Verse 42. As they went out, the people begged these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The Sabbath day, almost the next Sabbath day, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Amen to that. But when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord had commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, Stirred up, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Verse 51. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Echinium. And verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was a long chapter, right guys? <laughs> but... It is important that we capture this whole chapter and what was taking place. Um, what we're going to see the Apostle Paul do is he's going to exposit the Old Testament to them. This is what he was doing. He was pointing out 
that Jesus was the whole story. This whole story that they were reading about is about Jesus Christ. But now the way he brings it out, the way he unpacks it is very crucial. So let us get into the very first section, verse 13 to 15. What we're going to see is that uh, this is where Paul's introducing himself as he's beginning his first missionary journey. And as he starts his first missionary journey, we're going to see different setbacks that they're going to have. Now, I want you to see at verse 13. It says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Persia and Pamphylia. And who left them? John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, this is... A crucial point here, because the first thing that we're going to see, though, in, in any missional uh, efforts that we take or, or any ministry, there's going to be relational conflict. Amen? I like, for real, like, I'm, I'm keeping it 100. Because this is what we're seeing here. John left and returned to Jerusalem. Now, Turn with me again to the very beginning of chapter 13. And look with me at verse 5. Chapter 13 and verse 5. When they arrived at Salam, Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. So John was already with them in this missionary trip. They had already gone to the first place and they, were, they sailed from that place to the next. But all of a sudden it says that John left them. Now, Luke doesn't give us too much detail into this. But why would John leave them? Like, he starts off with them, but all of a sudden, part, you, know, you know, as they were continuing in their journey, all of a sudden he left. So this raises up questions for us. Like, why did John, who's also known as John Mark, leave the group? Was he tired? Was he scared? Maybe he missed his family back home. Maybe he was not in agreement with Paul and his leadership. You know, Paul was ill at this time. He did get sick. In Galatians chapter 4, it says this about uh, in Paul, and he's, he's writing this. He says, you know it was because of bodily ailment, which is like a chronic disease, that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me. So Paul recognized that his condition was pretty bad. And in Paul's first missionary trip, he went through South Galatia. And this is the letter to the Galatians. And he's highlighting, like, I, I went to you because I got sick. I, I, I was sick. And, and you, know, you know, stepping back for a moment, you know, uh, when, when we think about, like, well, yeah, if you have enough faith, you'll be healed. But here, Paul, what, did he not have enough faith that he didn't get healed? 
Maybe it was not in the plan of God to heal him, right? And so what we're seeing that there, there could have been some kind of struggle there. Maybe John didn't agree with that. Or, or maybe what we find is that maybe John did get scared. Maybe he did get tired. But we do know that John left the group. We know that he abandoned the group. So when we think about this first missionary trip, it could have been exciting to, to John, right? He could have been excited, like, man, I get to go on, on a mission trip. But that excitement soon fades away. Because you begin to see how difficult and hard it really is. And when you're confronted with certain setbacks and you're not grounded in Jesus, what's going to happen is going to shake the boat. Going to move it a little. So maybe John Mark's heart could have been filled with this heavy tension of, of missing back home, uh, the family, or, or things like that. And at that moment, when things were getting a little bit difficult, man, I got to leave. But we know for sure when we read this, because a lot of times we could just read through that and we're like, okay, John left. But there was a reason that was taking place when John left. In, in Acts chapter 15, turn with me to Acts 15, verse 36 through 41. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him with them who? John called Mark. But Paul, Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. He, Paul didn't want to take John no more. He's like, man, this dude done abandoned us. Why are we going to take him? Like, when we're going to go do the work, he, he left us. And verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement. Paul, you're going to disagree with Paul? I mean, this dude's like, the, like, like one of those heroes of the faith, right? And you're going to disagree with this, with this big timer? In the ministry, there will be conflict. In relationships, there will be conflict. You would think, man, everyone loves Paul. No, there's going to be, there's going to be moments of difficulty. And this is what we're seeing here. There was a sharp disagreement, so they separated from each other, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And they went to Syria and, and, and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So what we see, though, that they continued in the work of the Lord, but this John called Mark, we know later that Paul calls for him, and he says this. He calls for him and says, bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. When Paul called for him, it was in 2 Timothy, which is known as Paul's last letter before he died. So he's saying, go call him, because he's useful to the ministry. 
But we also know that this John named Mark also wrote the gospel of Mark. The same gospel that we read. So yeah, they might have conflict in the ministry, but yet God still reconciled them together. And this is what we see, that when the gospel is central, this is what is moving us towards. Like, there's going to be moments of disagreement like they had, but that did not stop the work of the Lord. They continued and they pressed on forward. Why? Because Jesus is their hero. Jesus is their reason why they're doing everything. Not Paul, not you, not Barnabas, not one of us. It is Jesus. And that's what we're seeing. And now we get to this part. Man, I, and I, I, I love the way Paul brings this, man. We, we get to this part where, where Paul shows up to the synagogue. And there's, there's uh, the Jewish rulers that are there. And it, it is customary for, for a rabbi that is visiting, they give them the opportunity to say something. And this is crazy because, look, Paul was known because he was taught by a person, a great rabbi called Gamelelai. And, and, and this guy here was like one of the sharpshooters. And the apostle Paul was trained by him. So when they see him coming in, they're like, hey, you know what? Maybe we ought to let him in and, and, and have a word, you know, and say a word to our people. Because this is what he says. Um, they send, a, a, in the synagogue, they send a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. And, and I, I, you know, I pause for a moment because, you know, me, Mo, and Howard know how this is. You, you give us an opportunity in the front, man, we just want to preach the word, right? And, and, and they get Paul. They, they're giving the mic to the apostle Paul here. Remember, he's already a Jew that's been converted. He's no longer living under the law. And they're giving him an opportunity to go up to the front. Look at the way God works, right? So God places him at this moment. And he stands up and he's waving at everyone. So everyone can listen to what he's fixing to say. And this is what we begin to see with the first thing that he does. He's going to show how the grace of God has appeared through the Old Testament all the way to today. And this is what he begins off with. He says, men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. And this is what I want us to look at. When we think about the grace of God, it is the unmerited favor of God. It is not something that you and I deserve because you and I do not deserve the grace of God. Hear me, because a lot of times you say, I don't want to show that person kindness or favor because they don't deserve it. Neither did you. And yet God moved your way and showed you mercy and grace. And this is what we're going to see Paul reminding them is the act of work of God. Regardless of the Israelites, God was at work. Look, it says, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers. Our fathers did not choose God. God chose them. The next thing, it is God who made them a great people. They didn't make themselves a great people. They didn't have it within themselves. God made them a great people. And then he says, he led them out of this land called Egypt. 
They couldn't muster up enough strength for themselves. They needed someone greater than themselves, and it was God. God delivered them. In verse 18, it says, For about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness, and after destroying the seven nations, who destroyed them? God destroyed their enemies. We get to the next part. He gave them their land. Who? God gave them their land for an inheritance. Verse 20, all this took about 450 years, and he gave them judges. He gave them the prophets, and he gave them the king. God did it. Not man, not the Israelites, not because they had a great strategy together, but because they were serving a great God. God was the one actively at work in this. And so we get to verse 21 and he says, you asked for a king and I gave you a king. I gave you Saul. 40 years he served you. Verse 22, then I removed him. And when I removed him, I raised up the next king, which is David, whom he testified. And he says, I found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And you remember the story of David. David was not just, you know, keeping it cool, right? He was not always just worshiping the Lord, right? He was getting into things that he wasn't supposed to. He was breaking different marriages, right? He was going to different people. He, man, this guy here was jacked up from the floor up. But he says he's known as a man after God's own heart. Oh, is the grace of God not just overwhelming in here? It is overflowing in here. Verse 23, and I love this because now after he showed the grace of God, the redemptive grace of God working in the Old Testament, he connects David to Jesus. He connects an earthly king to the one true king that would come. He says, he says this, and the man's offspring, God, has brought to Israel a savior named Jesus, who he had promised. So who brought this forth but God himself? God's grace appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. Follow with me. When, when you think about the love of God, look to Jesus. When you think about the mercy of God, look to Jesus. When you think about the forgiveness of God, look to Jesus. And when you think about the grace of God, you look to who? Jesus. Man, is this not a Christ-exalting sermon that Paul is preaching? He's making much of Jesus. He's pointing out that everything in the Old Testament pointed to this one historical moment that Jesus would appear. And then he goes on to say that, that as Jesus appeared, the promise before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he tells him, what do you suppose that I am? I'm not him. No, but behold, after me, one is coming that the sandals of whose feet I am unworthy to untie. He brings it back to the prophet right here. The one that was proclaiming the, the, the way of the Lord. So all that, that Paul did was showing that history, biblical history, all of history is God's story. It is God's story actively at, at work. The grace of God. 
So Paul is teaching about the grace of God that had appeared. And so when we get to this part about Jesus then being the connection, Jesus being the, the, the seed, the, the fruit, the offspring of David, it's so mind-blowing how he connects it back to Jesus. In Acts 4.12, Peter's preaching. And Peter's saying this, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter was preaching Christ the only way. Paul is preaching Christ the only way. It is, it is this beautiful part because he's saying Jesus is the climax of this biblical history. It is Jesus and no one else. So now... We get to the next part, that as we see that this grace of God that has appeared, we get to the next part, that is the grace of God that is proclaimed. Now, verse 26, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. So he just went through and explained through the Old Testament history that it's Jesus And now he's saying, is this Jesus the message of salvation? The grace of God in the very person of Jesus Christ. So salvation is found in no one else but in Jesus. Now look at verse 32. He says, and we bring you the good news that God had promised. So this message of salvation is the good news. And who is this good news about? About Jesus Christ himself. You see, a lot of the religious leaders had studied the law. But even Jesus pointed out this to them. He said, you study the scriptures thinking that in them you will find eternal life. But these very scriptures bear witness of me. They speak of Jesus. And this is what Paul is showing them. From Old Testament to New Testament, everything is pointing to Jesus Christ. That is the good news for us. The good news. This message of salvation. This message of the richness of God's grace for a people like us. There was nothing special about Israel. God chose to display his glory through them. And there's nothing special about us. What do we bring to the table, right? Can I get an amen on that? Filthy rags do we bring to the table, but Jesus brings it all. His riches to us. And so what we find then, Paul says, this message that I'm bringing to you, this message that was brought to us and now I'm bringing to you, verse 27, for those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which they read every sabbath they man they were reading the word of god every week and still they did not understand but guess what they did they condemned jesus they condemned jesus and though they found him with no guilt worthy of death they still executed him they knew there was nothing wrong with jesus but they still executed Jesus. But you know what Paul is doing here? When I was reading through this, I was getting all excited because I'm like, man, 
the Holy Spirit is moving in, in such a wonderful way with the Apostle Paul. Because now what Paul is doing, he's breaking down this gospel truth to them. He's reminding them about the, the sinless life of Jesus with no guilt. They condemned him. They executed him. He's reminding them that Jesus died. He's giving them the life, death, and we're going to see the burial, and we're going to see the resurrection of Jesus. He's unpacking the gospel to them. He's showing them that it all comes to this point. And he's bringing this to them as he's reminding them, look, all this was written about Jesus. And they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And they put him in the tomb. So what we're seeing is that it's mentioning the person and work of Jesus. The crucifixion of Jesus. The death of Jesus. The sinless sacrifice of Jesus. This is the gospel. This is why we do what we do. Because of the gospel. Because of what Jesus did for us. Paul is unpacking this for them. And he tells them in verse 32, we bring you the good news of what God had promised to the fathers. The gospel means good news. And so this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we get then to the next uh, following verse, as he says in verse 33, and he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus, the resurrection. Life, death, burial, and resurrection. He says, as it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And now he's pointing to, to Jesus as the son of God, his deity. And as in verse 34, and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken this way. And look at how Paul continues to quote the Old Testament. I love this. He's expositing the passage. He's, he's looking at the Old Testament and he's unpacking it for them. And he's telling them, this is what it means. The prophecy has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. He says, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Meaning that Jesus is the holy one of God. The blessing of David, meaning that Jesus is the true king that would come. The promised one from God. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, I would not let your holy one see corruption. Jesus was not going to be held down by death. Death could not stop our Savior. Death could not stop our Savior. Do you see who we serve? Verse 36, for David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. And he was laid with his fathers. And he saw corruption. So if you're thinking that it was David, David saw corruption. It wasn't David. It was Jesus who did not see corruption because God raised him from the dead. Now, follow with me in this family. Because what we're seeing is the divine declaration of God here. When God raised him from the dead. Notice how in this gospel message that he's packing, he's emphasizing the resurrection of Jesus. Several times he points to the resurrection of Jesus. 
if we are preaching the gospel that has no resurrection power, what are we giving people then? What hope are we giving to people? If we tell them that you, you're, you're just promised a good life now, what good is this life now if there's not life after death? That's why the gospel is so glorious. Because we offer people eternal life. And this eternal life is not something that we have. It's what God has. And so when we preach this gospel, oh, that Jesus lived a life that you can never live. That Jesus died the death that you deserve to die. But on the third day, Jesus rose again in victory. And that victory is yours. And the Holy Spirit now comes to dwell in you. And he seals you to the day of redemption. Because you and I will be raised in the newness of life. We're going to be raised up with God. It's seated at the right hand of God, right? Amen. Can you imagine that? So you and I, you know, when we... When we've gone to funerals in the past, and you've gone to a funeral of, of a person that believed in the Lord, there's this celebration. That, yeah, there's hurt and there's weeping, but there's also a celebration because you know that they're clinging to a hope. You know that they're clinging to the same hope, and you're clinging to the same hope, and you know that one day you will see them again. Why? Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And this is a hope that you and I have. It is not a hope that is rooted in, in, in fabricated stories, in, in things to just tickle your ears. It is the eternal word of God. It is a promise from God given to you and I. And that's, that's why this is good news. It's a promise that he gives to them. And now he gets to this point of verse 38. And look at how Paul transitions this. Because the same grace of God that is the message of the gospel, this message of salvation, after he gives it to them, they must receive this. And when they receive this, look at what he says. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers. This therefore is a transitional point that Paul establishes here. Therefore, through this man being who? Jesus. What can you receive from this man? The forgiveness of your sins that is proclaimed. And by him, everyone who believes is freed. This word freed in the Greek is justified. You're justified before God. And look at what it's saying. You're justified before God from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Let me slow down right here. How many of us struggle with guilt? Right? We struggle with guilt maybe because of past failures, past relationships, different things that have taken place. And we carry this. And when we think about, it says, you're freed from everything that you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. You see, when you try to obey everything perfectly, the law of Moses perfectly, you soon realize that you're going to fail. And when you fail, guess what begins to happen? 
you don't begin to jump for joy, you begin to beat yourself down. You begin to beat yourself down and you and I can be our worst critics, right? And so we're condemning ourselves, we're beating ourselves down because I didn't meet the expectations that were given to me. And what we see that the law of Moses was placed, not so that we can erase it, but the law of Moses was given to lead us to Jesus. The law of Moses reminds us of our need for God. It reminds us that we cannot keep the law perfectly. Paul in Romans 7 reminds us of that. If it wasn't because of coveting, man, this commandment of coveting just brought out all kind of sin in my heart. Like this is Paul talking about this. Paul. Let me remind you, the Apostle Paul. So how much more will we not struggle, right? The Apostle Paul that was used radically by God. He says this in Romans 7. And so what we see here, look, you and I, we get to try our best. But even, even in the Old Testament, it says that your righteous deeds are as filthy rags. So it's not your righteousness that God accepts. It is Jesus' righteousness that God accepts. That is why the gospel is so shocking to us, man. man like it, the gospel of grace, it is offensive to our pride. You know, we want to be able to do something and bring it to God. We want to say, look at what I brought to you to the altar, Lord. But God says, no, no. You look at what I brought to the table I brought my son to the table. He lived the life that you could never live. He loved me perfectly. He obeyed me perfectly. And he died for you. He died for you. Oh, that is love. So we no longer look to ourselves or to the person next to us. We're looking to Jesus. We're looking to Jesus. And so when... Paul is telling them, you can be forgiven for your sins and justified before God. The guilt that we carry because of these sins, your sins are forgiven. But a sinless life is not all that is needed to enter heaven. Perfect righteousness is needed to enter heaven. And your righteousness and mine is not enough. Therefore, Jesus gave us his. This is what we call the great exchange. Our filthy rags for Jesus' perfect life at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. Amen? Jesus Christ. So this is the good news that he tells them. The good news that your sins are forgiven. No matter what you've did in your past, no matter what you've done in your present, or no matter what you will do in your future, all your sins have been paid for. No more guilt for you to carry. No more condemnation. He says, my children, come to me freely. Freely. Come to me. Thank you, my brother. And let us all drink of that living water. Amen? We all remind ourselves of that. So no matter what we've experienced in our past, what we've done against God or what we've done against others, 
you come to the Lord today. You cast your burdens upon him for he cares for you. And the beauty about this is that we're reminded that Jesus, he bore our shame. He bore our guilt. He bore it on the cross. So now today, you are liberated. You are liberated by the grace of God. You're liberated from the fear of man, from trying to impress others, from trying to meet the expectations of other people, from trying to work hard to gain the love of God. You're reminded that the Lord loves you, not because of what you brought to the table, but because of what his son has brought to the table. God freely loves you. And that is why he says, then he says, through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. And by, by him, everyone who works, is that what it says? Everyone who tries hard will be freed. Everyone who obeys perfectly will be freed. No, what does it say? Come on, family, what does it say? Everyone who believes, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. It is by nothing else but Jesus Christ alone. And you receive this gift, you receive this promise by trusting, by believing, by clinging to the Lord. So it's not obedience to the law. Because obedience to the law does not have the power to save you or change you. The law in itself has no power. Paul says, so are we to do away with it? No, because the law is holy. It is perfect. It is a reflection of our God. But relying on it with your own human effort to gain you approval before God, you're going to either run yourself to a place of pride or a place of shame. But it is by the grace of God. It is by the grace of God of what he's provided and we look to him. And so now when we talk about this, I, I'm ending with this family, is that there will always be two responses to the grace of God. This is what we're going to see here. Verse 42. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the Sabbath broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, they urged them to continue in the grace of God. Look at the response. People were like excited. They wanted to hear more. But not everyone responded that way. Look at what happens. On the next Sabbath, almost a whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Man, amen to that, right? Imagine that. Like more people gathering together because they want to hear the word of God. Oh, that's so beautiful. All of them. But check out what happens in the crowd. There was the Jews who were in the crowd and they were filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what Paul was talking about. So what we're seeing here, family, is there's two things that are taking place. There is hostility to the gospel of grace. But there is also joy to the gospel of grace. People will be filled with jealousy because they care more about their own vain glory. They're looking for ways to bring 
the, uh, the Apostle Paul down because they, they didn't want the attention going that way. But the intention was not for Paul and, and Barnabas. It was for God. People will push away against this gospel of grace. They will push against it. They will be more concerned about themselves. I still want to be the God of my own world. I still want to be Lord over my life. I'm still the Savior of my own situations I get into. No one else can help me. I'll get out of this. Have we ever heard that before, right? I got this. And we're reminded, no, 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 no. You got yourself where you're at because of you. You need to start learning to look to God. God has this. The Lord has this. And so there's either going to be the response of hostility or there's going to be this response of people filled with joy. Look at verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard that, because Paul was telling, look, you pushed against this, so now we're turning to the Gentiles and we're carrying the message to the Gentiles. And so Paul's saying here, now, now the Gentiles heard this and they began to rejoice and glorify the word of the Lord. Notice the difference. The first group, they didn't rejoice. They were filled with jealousy. And they were seeking their own glory instead of God's glory. The second group, they were filled with joy. And they were glorifying the Lord. One will lead you to glorify God and the other one will lead you to glorify self. At the end of the day, two responses to the grace of God. You will either be affected by it and push against it or you will, or you will submit to it and you will rejoice in the Lord because of what he has done for you. And so now he says, now uh, uh, this part, and this is the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Let me slow down real quick. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. It doesn't say that as many as believed then were appointed to eternal life. Notice the order that we have here is as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. This is when we talk about the doctrine of, of election. Like when God God. He set his affections upon the people and he said, I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to save them. I'm going to raise them from the dead and I'm going to bring them into my family. He says, those who he had appointed to an eternal life, they're the ones that believed. The scripture's saying this. And I'm just explaining now what the word of God is saying. Verse 49 and when the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, the Jews were, man, they were stirring up the people. And when they were stirring up the people, they started persecuting Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out. But guess what Paul and Barnabas did? They dusted shoes off their feet. My work is done here. And they kept on going. And it said that the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Amen and hallelujah. So as Paul preached the gospel, as Paul took him through Old Testament history and showed him that it all pointed to Jesus, then he brings it to them and says, it is this Jesus by which your sins can be forgiven. And it is by this Jesus that you can be justified before God. And it is this Jesus that if you believe in him, these promises are yours. So today I ask you the same thing. 
Have you believed in the promises that God has given to you? Have you believed in the gospel that is presented to you? Because if you haven't, today is the day of salvation, family. If you haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, I encourage you today, trust in him today. Trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. Trust in him for a new life. Trust in him for a new heart. Trust in him for a relationship with God. Not in your works, not in your obedience, but in what Jesus Christ has done for you. Let us bow our heads. Oh, God of mercy, God of grace. Oh, how wonderful you are. Lord, I pray, Father God, that if anyone is here today, Lord, that has not tasted of thy goodness, that has not believed in your promises, they might feel far away from you, Lord, but there is no one too far from your reach. I pray, God, that you will move in them today, that you will stir their hearts, that they would turn to you. Lord, we pray, Father God, Lord, as, as the Apostle Paul was reminding us, that it is by believing in Jesus that we have forgiveness of sins, that it is by believing in Jesus that we have been freed from, the, from trying to obey the law to gain your love to gain your attention. God, you have already said that we are yours because of what Jesus has done. So today, my Lord, I, I pray that you will move in the hearts of all the people, that we will take a stand, and that we will continue to share this good news. In Jesus' name, amen.